Lord God, we come before you. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. And as we sing your amazing grace. Lord, I pray as we come before you, may you quiet our hearts and our minds, open our ears, our eyes, our mind, our hearts, Lord God, to your word. That, Lord, if there's a message that we need to hear, may we hear it loudly. We give you this time, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, how many of us um, remember hearing, or not hearing, having an argument? Maybe you had an argument with your parents, or maybe you had an argument with your children, or perhaps even you had an argument with your spouse, and it involved some of these words, what did I tell you? Or something like, what did I just say? Did you not hear me? Now, maybe you just heard those words, maybe you said those words just as you're getting out of the car this morning. I don't know, right? But I'm sure we've all had those engaged conversations with somebody when we said, what did I tell you? Do you not yet understand? What do we imply when we say those words to somebody? All right, what, 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 are we, what are we trying to say? You're not listening, Right? You're not understanding me. You're not getting it, right? And so sometimes we say it, and usually out of frustration, right? What's wrong with your ears, right? You're not listening to me. Um, and adults like to think this is just a teenager thing or a children thing, right? Parents, when you say that, you say, oh, gosh, my kids, right? They just don't listen. They don't understand. I don't know how many times I have to tell them. You kids ever had your parents say that to you, right? Well, let me assure you, it is not a teenage thing. It's not a children thing, right? It's very much an adult thing. I'm sure the Lord up there is saying, oh my goodness, you're not hearing it, are you? I, there are times, and I never mentioned this to my kids, but I have on occasion, I'll admit, I have used those words before. I have said that to him. What did I say? What did I tell you, right? What I haven't told them is, there are times I would say that shortly afterwards, I would hear God say to me, uh, Mike, what did I say to you? I don't tell them those things, right? But there are times when I, God would convict me when I know I realize, you know what, there are things that God has been trying to tell me that I haven't been listening to. I haven't been getting it. And I'll admit, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this room, that I can be pretty stubborn when it comes to learning my lessons. Learning some things that I need to hear or breaking old habits. I, I, I routinely, oftentimes, can easily fall into old habits or old ways. I can be very stubborn and I can hear God say to me, what did I say to you? Were you hearing what I was saying to you? We repeat old habits, old things, we say these things, and it's kind of interesting, metaphorical phrases such as being blind, right? Being deaf, hard-hearted or hard-minded or hard-headed all represent a common problem, right? When we say, are you deaf? Are you blind? You got a hard head? What are we saying here? You're not understanding, right? 
You're not listening. You're not getting it. And these are all themes that we've been looking at in, in, in our time in Mark. We've been seeing these themes of not understanding, not listening, not seeing what they need to do. And especially recently, we've been seeing it in the disciples. These 12 disciples who've been close to Jesus. And we've been seeing, especially lately, this theme that they're so close to Jesus, yet they're not seeing, they're not hearing, they're not understanding. And we're going to see in today's passage that sometimes... Our circumstances can help us see and understand, right? Sometimes our circumstances can help us see and to hear and understand what we need to know. But we'll also see that sometimes, many times, our circumstances will also or can also blind us to what we need to see, what we need to hear, and what we need to understand. So I want to challenge us to be thinking, are we hearing what we need to hear from God? Are we responding to Jesus as we ought to? So if your Bibles turn to Mark chapter 10, we're going to pick up at verse 32. And it's kind of interesting, you know, as you're turning to Mark, it's interesting when a passage, a certain passage is presented in all three synoptic gospels or maybe even all four right matthew mark and luke and the passage we're going to look at today is in both matthew mark and also in luke and so what that tells me often is that it represents there's a key message or lesson that we need to learn but also this is important to christ's journey to the cross right all three of those gospels have these passages in their gospel account so it's kind of interesting that all three are there or this is in all three of those gospels. We'll pick it up in verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And will deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and scourge him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Now I'll stop there for a second. Now this is the fourth time in Mark at this point where Jesus is teaching the disciples, preparing them for his upcoming suffering, what he's going to do what he's going to go through, that he will be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles, the chief priests and the scribes. He will be condemned. He will be mocked. He will be spit upon. He will be beaten, and he will be killed. But three days later, he will rise again. And we've already seen that they're not fully grasping, the disciples, they're not fully grasping what Jesus is trying to say to them, his message to them. And we saw before how Peter even tried to rebuke Jesus at the very notion that he would be turned over, that he would be beaten, something would happen to him, right? He turned over Jesus and he had the nerve to be able to rebuke Jesus and say, whoa, 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 this can't happen, right? So you think, This is not a new scenario. So you think after the fourth time that we know of, right, that Jesus is preparing and telling the disciples that what's going to happen to him, you would think after the fourth time they would get it, right? They would understand it. We go on. And James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came to him saying to him, Teacher, 
we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. I'll stop there for a second. How many have ever had a conversation with somebody and you're sharing something very emotional? Maybe something traumatic. Maybe you're going through something very heavy and you go and you share what you're going through of what's going to happen. And it's weighing heavy on you. It's serious stuff. And the person you're talking to, they're hearing it and they go, hmm, wow. Hey, can you do me a favor? Have you ever had that happen? You're sharing something deep, something emotional, and the person they're talking to is like, oh, wow, tough. Hey, guess what happened to me yesterday, Right? That's the kind of impression I get with, with, with what's going on here. Jesus is telling them something very, very deep. He's not just saying, yeah, I'm going to have a stressful time. And what is on the minds of the disciples? We've seen this pattern before back in Mark chapter 9. Jesus just delivers a son from a demon. And as they're traveling on their journey, Jesus tells the disciples what he's about to, what's going to happen to him. He's going to be delivered. He's going to be killed. And he's going to rise again in three days. And what is on their minds? There is a question that is on their minds that they just can't let go. It was so important to them. And what was that question? Which one of us will be the greatest? That was on their mind. That is what we read. After Jesus teaches the disciples, what's the question that they were bothered by, that they were disputing? Jesus had asked them, what are you, what are you guys talking about? They were debating about who will be the greatest among them. So what does Jesus do? He talks and he teaches them about greatness. What is greatness in God's eyes? And greatness in God's eyes is not measured by how great you have shown yourself on this earth. All the things that we think about, about achieving greatness on this earth, that is not greatness in God's eyes. Were you a servant, right? Did you place others above or before yourself? He says in 9 verse 35, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all, and what? Servant of all. So here we see the same pattern. Jesus is journeying and he's with the disciples and there's others who are following, other followers there. And Jesus tells of his coming suffering that he'll be beaten, he'll be tried, he'll be killed, he'll resurrect. And what happens next? John and James, James and John, two of the inner three, right? Sons of thunder. They have the nerve to ask Jesus, Teacher, we want you to do 
for us whatever we ask for you. I mean, how many of you kids would have the nerve to tell your parents that, right? We want you to do whatever we ask of you. But not only that, but Matthew gives us a detail that kind of enhances the level of, I think, embarrassment. In Matthew's account, it tells us that John and James's mother was there. And it's his mother who asks Jesus for this request. To have my sons to sit on your right and left when you're in glory. Now, do you remember when you're at a certain age... If there was something that you wanted to be done for yourself, you needed something done on your behalf. What is the one way you know you can make that happen? You know the one way is? Get mom. If you could get mom to do, be on your side, you could probably get whatever you want. Working at a school, for those of you who have been teachers before, you know this is so true. When a student wants something done for them, whether it's like get more time to do their work or excuse a test or any of those things, you know what a student wants to do to get that done? It's usually not dad, actually. Get mom. Mom will make it happen. She will make it work, right? And now there's certainly a, usually a certain age when you, you kind of grow out of getting mom to do stuff for you, right? right? Usually there's an age where you, you, know, you kind of grow out of wanting to get mom to do stuff for you. And that age is usually about like 50, something like that, right? Or maybe it's a little earlier, maybe it's later for some people. But at some point you stop relying on mom to do things for you, right? You would feel a little embarrassed, if you need mom to get you to do something, to ask something for you. But apparently James and John was not too embarrassed for this, right? Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? They request what? Greatness for themselves. Grant us the place of highest honor next to you in your glory. When you come back, let us sit on your right and left side. Peter, yeah, he can, he can be a little to the right or to the left of us, right? Those other disciples, yeah, let them come. But let us have the highest honor position next to you. Jesus responds, you don't know what you're asking, right? You don't know what I'm about to do. You don't know what needs to be done before I take my place in glory. You have no idea what you're asking for. But John and James respond, believing they can do whatever they need to do to take that place. But they don't understand, they don't realize what Jesus is needing to do. They don't grasp it. They're not understanding. Eventually, they will understand. They will believe. Eventually, they will not only receive the benefits of what God, what, what Christ is going to do, but indeed, they will suffer. They will get there, but they don't realize it yet. It goes on. And hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. 
and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We'll stop there. So, well, the rest of the disciples, right, they're there too. This was not some kind of private conversation. They were there, and they were rightfully upset at James and John. I bet they're probably thinking, wait, wait a second, wait a second. You're getting mommy to ask you, to ask this of you? You're trying to get mom to get you to get to the right, right and left-hand side? Now, I don't know if those were direct quotes, right? I, have no, I can't verify those are the thoughts, but that's certainly what I would be thinking about if I was one of the disciples. That's kind of low, right? That's a little desperate. You're getting mom to ask this for you. I would assume probably they're so upset because they want those seats. They've been arguing about who's going to be great. They're probably thinking, I want that seat. I want to be the one who's sitting on to the right or to the left. And just as he did previously, Jesus teaches them about true greatness. He talks about how the world uses positions of power as a means of exercising their authority over people, right? But Jesus declares, this should not be so among you. Whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servants. You want greatness? Be a slave of all. This word servant, diakonos here is where we get the word deacon. Talk about timing, right? It's where we get the word deacon. He says, if you want to be great, you must be a slave, a doulos of all. A doulos, a slave to all. So you have to, be a, you have to serve, and you're a slave to all. Now, today we're talking about elections, right? We're not, not government elections. We're going to elect the new uh, church council who is up for renewal and, and new council members for the coming year the new deacons. And I know there's a lot of times where people can use positions of authority as a means to exercise authority over people. But the role of a deacon, especially here in the church, is not one to rule authority over, but what? You are a servant. You're a servant. I'm thankful to say, you know, I, I, I have no reason to believe this. In my experience here, that those who've been serving as deacons, they understand that role, that heart, that, you know what, I'm here to serve, to serve the congregation. Jesus says, greatness results from being a servant, a slave of all. And he goes on to say, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It's interesting, this section of this passage here, this section began with Jesus talking about his suffering, and then it bookends talking about his suffering. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. It's interesting how Jesus doesn't command us to do anything he hasn't like, done himself, right? He tells us that we need to be a servant, a slave to all. What does Jesus do? He's saying to himself, I have come to serve and give my life a ransom for many. 
and they don't fully grasp this. They don't fully understand. They're kind of blinded to understand what he's talking about. Well, let's contrast this picture to the rest of this chapter. And they came to Jericho, verse 46. And as he was going out from Jericho and with his disciples and a great multitude, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he had heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, that, that stretched my voice. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, arise, he is calling for you. So here we have this picture. Jesus again is traveling with the disciples, and a great crowd is following along. And on the side of the road, here's this man, Bartimaeus, who's blind, a blind beggar. And he hears this commotion, and people tell him, it's Jesus of Nazareth is walking by. The man from Nazareth, the one that people have been talking about, the one who was healing all these people in the region of Galilee, in the Decapolis area, and even in the uh, Syrophoenician area, all those areas, Jesus of Nazareth, that guy who's been doing all these miracles, he's here, he's walking by that Jesus. And what is Bartimaeus' response? Remember, he's blind. All he can do is cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now this is interesting. This is the first mention in Mark of Jesus being referred to as the son of David. David. And if you remember in Mark, Jesus avoided the proclamation of who he is, right? We've seen throughout Mark, right? He, he's re- avoided the proclamation of who he fully is, he d- but he doesn't silence Bartimaeus here. And it's ironic that blind Bartimaeus identifies Jesus as the Son of God, this messianic title, right? And blind Bartimaeus calls out, Jesus, the son of David, the one, the Messiah, he calls him out. Yet the people who can physically see refer to him simply as Jesus of Nazareth. That Jesus guy from Nazareth, the one we've been hearing about. But he cries out for mercy. And what happens? The people rebuke him. Quiet down. Stop bothering him. Shh. Leave him alone, right? But what does Bartimaeus do? All the more he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stops. And what happens? He calls for Bartimaeus. Bring him over to me. And so the people are like, oh, okay. Hey, Bartimaeus, cheer up. Be a good curse. He's calling for you right? Can you imagine Bartimaeus? He must have felt like he just won the lottery. He won the Powerball. He must have felt like, you know, you've ever watched that show, The Price is Right? Remember the old game show, The Price is Right? Remember those contestants 
When they'll say, you know, so-and-so, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. And they come down the stage and they're running. And they, woo, you know, they, they're just all excited to come down. I can picture Bartimaeus when he hears that he's calling for you. What happens? And casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Now there's several interesting observations about this passage. And I'm going to see how it relates to the previous verses we just read. We're going to glean from Bartimaeus' encounter with Jesus. This is the first thing we see in these two passages together. We see how Mark has, continues to use the symbolism of sight and understanding. We see this throughout Mark. In Mark 8, 22, 26, Jesus was teaching the disciples. And this interaction with the disciples, they were not understanding him. What does Jesus say? Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? Jesus pointing out how they lacked understanding. They can hear with their own ears. They can see with their own eyes. But they weren't understanding. What followed after that? Immediately after, Jesus goes and what? He heals a blind man. Here we see the disciples still not understanding, still not grasping what Jesus was teaching them. They couldn't understand. They didn't understand this whole idea about the suffering and what he's going to happen. But what happens right afterwards? Jesus goes. He heals this blind man, Bartimaeus. Right? Mark is presenting this picture here. We also see this teaching of true greatness. This repeated theme of true greatness. Jesus, again, models this true greatness. Here was the son of David. The Messiah who was coming. And he was on the path that will lead him to great suffering. Yet he stopped to meet the needs of this desperate man. Jesus did not need to stop for Bartimaeus. Here was the Messiah who had all authority in God's eyes, right? He hears this man. He stops and calls him over. I think the disciples will eventually understand this image that Jesus was showing them. This image of service and also of what Jesus was going to do. All the things that Jesus did for people, I'm sure there was a moment the disciples thought, and he was going to the cross the whole time. He was on his way to the cross and suffer for our behalf the whole time and here he was meeting the needs of these desperate people. Third thing we see is blind faith. Bartimaeus did not need to see to have faith in Jesus. He heard of Jesus, and that was all he needed to have hope and faith in him. Whatever he had heard of Jesus of Nazareth, that was enough for him to have hope. 
In his mind, he couldn't just be another teacher. He couldn't just be some miracle worker. He must be the Messiah. And it's interesting how people often live by this mantra of seeing is believing, right? We think if we can see it with our eyes and hear with our own ears, that's enough for us to believe. But what Bartimaeus is showing us here, sometimes we don't need to see it to believe it. In fact, oftentimes, when we can't see it, sometimes we're in our own afflictions, sometimes we see what we need to see a lot more clearly. Sometimes in our desperation or in our need, we're able to see things a little bit better. But when we rely on the things that we see, things we touch, things we hear, sometimes we just rely so much on that and we miss the picture. We're not hearing what God is trying to say to us. We're not seeing what God wants to show us. Sometimes those limitations that we have can lead us to see God. The other thing we see in this passage, how Jesus responds to faith. Bartimaeus did not need to be told twice. He cast it off his cloak and he jumped and went over to Jesus. And then Jesus asked him, what question? What do you want me to do for you? Where did we hear that before? We just read that. Remember James and John? What did Jesus ask the James and John? What do you want me to do for you? Right? James and John, they answered, we want personal glory. Okay, you're asking, what do we want? We want personal glory. We want to sit on your right and left. What did Bartimaeus say? I'm desperate. Have mercy on me. I just want to see again. I just want to see again. How would we respond to this question? If Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you? How do we respond to that? And I'm not saying there's a right or wrong answer for you. I don't know. You may have a great need like Bartimaeus, right? You may be desperate. You may be praying. You've been, you've been in your condition for so long. And maybe that's your answer. Could be. You're desperate. You're saying, God, have mercy on me. But I think many would answer like James and John, right? If, they, if Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? I think many people would respond, hmm, now that you ask, there's this thing I've been wanting. There's this position I've been wanting. There's this car I've been, I've been eyeing. There's this guy or girl I've been, I won't say, eyeing, right? I think most people would answer like that. And I'm not sure what burdens your heart today. I'm not sure how you would respond to that. Whatever that your response would be, could Jesus respond to us and say, go your way, your faith has made you well. It's interesting that phrase has made you well. That phrase made you well, that verb is in the active sense. What's active? It refers to Bartimaeus' faith. Bartimaeus' faith made him well. Now, his faith is not the power that made him well, right? It's the power of God that made him well. But his faith was the acting agent. 
right? As we've seen throughout Mark, God responds to our faith and trust in him. We've seen that countless of situations throughout Mark and how our doubts and fear can limit experiencing the work of the Lord in our life. So can we say, can we hear Jesus say to us, go your way, your faith has made you well. From faith to devotion, last point here. Look at Bartimaeus' response after he's immediately made well. His response, and immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. And we've seen Jesus do many miracles, right? And we've seen times when Jesus sent somebody away from home. Now go home. Go to your area. We've seen where Jesus has healed people and they've stayed where they are. They've gone their way. What happens here? Here, Bartimaeus followed Jesus. And I can't help but remember what happened to the rich young ruler that we looked at last week, right? He sought out Jesus for answers. What must I do to have eternal life? And when Jesus told him the response, what happened to him? Here's the man who had everything in abundance, who thought he did all that he needed to do, but he was this nagging question, what must I do to have eternal life? How did that story end? He left. The last thing we saw of this rich young ruler, he left Jesus grieved. Jesus told him what he lacked. This man didn't have his vision, didn't have anything. His vision was restored. And yet what happens? He goes and follows Jesus. And I don't think that's coincidence in the timing that Jesus is on his way to the cross. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And here's this man, blind beggar, gets healed from Jesus. And his response, what we see of him, he follows Jesus. Let me wrap up with this. As I mentioned, our circumstances can either help us and see what we need to see and learn, But sometimes our circumstances can also blind us to what we need to see and what we need to hear. And we see in Bartimaeus, we see in the disciples, we saw in the rich young ruler. Sometimes we get so reliant on those things and we're not hearing, we're not seeing, we're not understanding what God wants us to see, wants us to hear. And my prayer for all of us is that we would have that that relationship with the Lord that we're not relying on those things. Because those things are going to hinder us from being able to see. If we define God by the things that we can see or we can hear alone, sometimes it limits us. We don't understand. We're not understanding what he's saying to us or hearing. The message of what Christ is doing, and he calls us to serve as I have served. Serve as I have served. May we respond to the Lord with our devotion and faithfully follow him. Let's bow our heads and let's pray.
Lord God, your word is amazing. And Lord, uh, I can't help but feel like sometimes those disciples who, who heard, your, heard your audible voice, you, you, you're reading, you understand what you're saying, but sometimes, Lord, sometimes we don't get it, we don't understand. Lord, I pray our hearts and our eyes and our ears will be open to what you want us to see, to hear, and to know and understand. That our faith wouldn't be dictated by what our physical eyes may see. But Lord, may your Holy Spirit move in our hearts. Some of us may be able to identify with Bartimaeus who's so desperate. And we're saying, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And Lord, I pray we would have the faith in you and who you are, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Teach us, Lord God. I ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship together. Thank you.